So what I'd like to get into today is, I think the, the title up on the screen is, uh, really sums up what I want to speak about, and hopefully by the end of this sermon, uh, you'll get a better idea of why that title is phrased the way it is. Um, so, but first what we're going to do is, which is a great place that I always like to start at this place, is looking at Christ as an example. Um, scripture tells us to do that. And if that wasn't enough for you, he's like a great example, the best example. So why wouldn't you want to follow his example? Uh, so we're going to start with uh, discussing Christ and his example of offering or sacrifice. So we're all familiar with his greatest sacrifice, which was his life. And uh, the implications of that, you know, being redeemed from eternal death, right? His, his sacrifice, his coming into our place being the thing that separates us from uh, eternal damnation, right? And how weighty of a thing that is. We're all familiar with that. We're familiar with, you know, Christ died on the cross for you, right? Uh, but what we're going to get in today is a little bit more the heart of Christ and his offering and sacrifice that goes beyond just us and is pointed more towards God. So if you want to open your Bibles with me to John 12, we're going to read verses 24 through 28. So Jesus says in these verses, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So just in these verses right here that we read, we see that Christ does say, follow me, follow my example. So it's a great place to start. Um, and we're seeing that he, he doesn't necessarily want to die on the cross. That's not a great thing to go through, that suffering. I don't think any of us would be like, what are you doing this weekend? I don't know. I might get crucified. That sounds like fun. Like that's not what, that's not something you do uh, for the sake of doing it. You do it for a greater purpose. Sacrifice isn't a fun thing. Otherwise, it wouldn't be sacrifice, right? So he did it. Why did he do it? He did it to glorify God's name. We see this further in John 20, 19. Uh, this is the description of what he had just said. It says, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God, right? So his death was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Uh, 
So we get that, that again, follow me, follow my example. So if Christ died to glorify God, then, and we're called to follow him, then what are we called to do? Right? We're called to glorify God. Uh, and so this has been an idea that the church has followed for a very long time. So uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the Westminster Catechism, uh, it's, it's a grouping of question and answering that's been used as a tool to teach the church important doctrine for centuries now, right? Uh, and I know a lot of you are familiar with this, and you can probably answer this question when I ask it. Uh, and I'll give you the chance. You guys can answer it if you want. Uh, but it's the first question of the catechism. It says, what is the chief end of man? What's the answer? Right. So you, guys, you guys got it. Great. So it says, the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Right? So if that's men's chief end, I'd, I'd offer that Christ's chief end in dying on the cross was to glorify God. Not just to save us, but in the act of saving us, to glorify God. Right? So, we're also, not just through this, Christ saying, follow me and see what I'm doing. It also, Scripture also tells us directly to offer to God. It tells us directly to sacrifice, right? So Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Deuteronomy 16.17 says, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. So scripture there specifically tells us to offer to the Lord. And it says different ways to offer to the Lord, right? So sacrifices come in lots of different shapes and forms. And I'm sure you're all familiar with sacrifices you've been called to make in your life. And sacrifices uh, that others have made for you. Whether it's, it's money, right? You know, the tithe comes straight from that principle of sacrificing and offering to God. We give a tithe to say, we're, we're not just giving you this 10%, Lord, but we give you all our money, right? That last scripture just said to give our, our bodies, right? Which means, you know, taking efforts to live a healthy life so that we can live longer, right? You know, when you're living an unhealthy life style, uh, where you're, you know, you're not taking care of your body, uh, you're not sleeping regularly, you know, you're eating terrible, whatever, you're disobeying God and, and saying, God, this is my body, not yours, right? Um, but that can be on the flip side too, being willing to, to take a few nights where you have to stay up through the night to pray is an offering to God sacrificing your sleep, your time. That's another big thing that we, we miss a lot. The fact that you guys are here at 9.30 a.m., which is an unthinkably early church service, right? It's a sacrifice for some of us. It is. You know, we come to the weekend and we're like, we've been waking up early all day. Or if, you know, you're some of my roommates, you don't normally wake up this early. <laughs> and so you get here and uh, you're sacrificing your time to be here. 
And in some cases, like Christ and other Christians, uh, people have been called to sacrifice their life, to give their life for this, right? Which is really should be true for all of us that ultimately we're giving our lives to God. So we're called in Scripture to do this, not just uh, inadvertently through saying follow Christ as he's done, but directly we've been told to offer sacrifices. So uh, kind of to get an idea of the extent of how far these sacrifices go, uh, I want to tell you about a story. Uh, I was watching a video where John Piper and Tim Keller were discussing sanctification. And uh, that's kind of beside the point. But Tim Keller brought up a story of a young believer that had just heard the full gospel. You know, they'd heard kind of Christianese, like Christian terminology once in a while, uh, and didn't really have a firm understanding of what the gospel really was, and they had just heard it for the first time. And uh, they were telling Tim Keller, they said, uh, the gospel's really scary. And so as any good pastor has done that we've all experienced where they just ask us questions to draw things out of us and buy time for themselves, <laughs> uh, they, he, he asked, he's like, why is it scary, right? He didn't offer any solutions yet. He just, why is it scary? I'm not going to presume to know why you think it's scary. Maybe I can glean something from this. The person then went on to say, well, if you earn salvation through works, which, again, this is not uh, the quote. It's just a reminder that every other religion is based on this mode of operation where you are saved by works. If you haven't seen that, you can look closer. Uh, any cult that calls themselves Christian, that you can know it's a cult because it's the person... The way to salvation is through works, right? This is a deep thing in our culture where we want to save ourselves. And uh, so that's what separates Christianity from everything else, okay? So he says, if if you're saved by works, then there's a limit to what God can ask of you. You know, you, you read so much, and then once you've read how much you're supposed to read, you're free, you're off... Off the hook, right? Uh, you, you pray the certain prayers that you're supposed to pray, and then you're off the hook, right? You give the certain amount of money you're supposed to give, and then you're off the hook, right? But being saved by grace means that God can ask of you your whole life. You know, and this is, this is something I've been working through, right? Uh, When I was told to, or asked to prepare a sermon, uh, the advice I got from everyone was make it something that God's put on your heart recently. And this is something that's been on my heart, uh, how to serve and how to serve better, right? Because I'm not great at it. (laughs) None of us are. So uh, maybe John Gray. (laughs) Uh, so God can ask you anything because he's giving you everything right he's done something for us that we can't repay him for fully and he can ask us an infinite request right so that's 
I haven't told you quite yet why that's a great thing, but I will. I'll tell you why that's a joyful thing that God can ask us for our whole lives. Uh, so we're going to get back into more scripture and kind of lay the groundwork for that. First Chronicles 29.9 says, uh, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So there's two things in these next uh, couple scriptures I want you to to glean, to take from it, uh, to see. That one is there was rejoicing, right? There's an element of joy. There's a heart attitude. And they gave willingly with a whole heart and it was offered freely. So it was with a heart of joy and it was given freely, right? So we'll jump to 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's one we've all read a lot, and we think, you know, it's just about our ties on Sunday, how willingly we're going to give away our check. But I argue this is something that can relate to our whole lives, right? Again, you see those two elements. It's something, a heart, a cheerful heart. It's something that's changed in their spirit, in their emotion, that they do it joyfully. And they, it's given. It's not under compulsion. It's not reluctant. Right? No one forced them to give. Right? Uh, so we're going to go back to Tim Keller's story about this, this grace idea. This saved by grace and not by works. Um, that is a scary thought when you think that God can ask you anything. Right? But we go back to our created purpose. That's what this, this new believer didn't quite get. We go back to our creative purpose. What, what do we get when we offer to God? We get to enjoy him forever. That's what we were created to do was to offer to him, right? So being in our creative purpose is the best opportunity we could ever have. So the fact that God can ask of us everything means that we have the opportunity to give him everything. As his requests, the limit of his requests go up, the limit of our praise and worship to him go up. And so, do our, so does our joy, if we have the right heart in it, right? So this, this unlimited God, this, this great God, the fact that he saved us... Uh, totally and completely uh, without any help from us and the fact that uh, we owe him everything means that we truly get to unadulteratedly praise him. Which we, no other, no other religion lets you praise their God with a full heart uh, that is, has no other strings attached. Right? 
I have another a story here to kind of give this example, and I think it'll relate to a lot of us. If not this one, the next one, definitely. Uh, so I met a Chinese student on campus and was uh, speaking to him about their conversion. And they met their wife in China. They got married in China. They weren't a Christian then. Uh, and he said that his relationship with his wife was, uh, I guess the way I would put it was, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And a lot of us have lots of relationships like that. That's really what our culture wants. Uh, that's how business is done in America. That's how uh, friendships are done in America. That's how dating's done in America. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right, and, and he said that, so everything he did was to an end of getting something in return. He said, I'll do the laundry if you cook dinner, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, maybe if I do, even if I fold the laundry, maybe she'll make me dessert as well. <laughs> like, that's, that's kind of the spirit behind it, and it led to a lot of conflict and a lot of uh, keeping weights, and keeping track of who's, who's in the positive, who's done more. Uh, when you start keeping count and keeping score, that's not a great thing for relationships. But that's what other religions and their relationships with their God is, keeping score, right? But we can't keep score with our God. We can't. He wins. <laughs> His scores, he's like way up here. He did all the laundry and the dishes, made us dessert, <laughs> gave us a back rub. Like <laughs> He did it all for us, right? Um, so the next uh, thing I want to say is that they're, they're, we talked about opportunities to offer, right? So you want to give things, right? But it's hard to look at something when someone's asked for it and to say, I'm giving it to you. I guess the way I would say that is uh, the, to explain this better is this next story or idea. Um, I was scrolling through social media as a millennial might do. And uh, <laughs> I saw a post about how a person said their, like, their biggest pet peeve is that when they really want to do the dishes for someone, uh, the second they get asked to do the dishes, they don't want to do the dishes anymore. And I related very much to that in my, my childhood. Uh, I remember, you know, I never thought dishes were fun. I still don't think dish, doing dishes are fun. I think it's a great sacrifice when I do the dishes. Uh, ask my roommates. My pile of dishes is this tall. <laughs> and so when I was younger, my dad would, would come home, and if in the off chance I was doing the dishes, he would come home from work and, and see that, and he said, wow, that does my heart good. He says, that does my heart good to see you working. Uh, so I had this idea in my head that I had to surprise them with the dishes for the, to have that effect. So I would do the dishes and, uh, only if it was a surprise to them, but if I was asked... It would, I would do it with groaning and moaning and kicking and screaming. <laughs> uh, but as I got older, I realized that doing it out of obedience as well had the same effect. It was still giving. 
if I did it in obedience, right? I had that heart of doing it with joy, and it had the same effect. Now, we're imperfect, uh, and not all fathers appreciate that the same way that mine did. Uh, And mine's imperfect. My father's imperfect as well. Uh, None of them compare to how God sees our works and how joyful he is when we do something out of obedience uh, and how he can see our heart. No one can see our heart like God can. So the, this is all to say the way we give needs to be cheerful and it needs to be given. And I think those two ideas are, are connected and intertwined and can't be separated, right? That you can't give without being cheerful and you can't be cheerful and doing something without knowing it's being given, right? I know we all have, I have a different attitude about uh, giving my tithes and getting taxed, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know if you guys are the same way, uh, but if you feel the same way about giving your tithes than you do about getting taxed, you, you might have the wrong heart about this, I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, that's beside the point. You should tax and, and also do your tithe. <laughs> uh, but it's that, that idea that you are giving it and you're giving it cheerfully and those ideas can't be separated. So we're going to look at one final example here uh, and going back to Christ's example. Uh, scripture lays out this really great uh, illustration of the difference between Christ's offering and man's offering before Christ. Man's offering outside of Christ. Okay, and it's going to tie together these last few ideas. Um, so if you want to turn with me to Hebrews 12.24, I think that's important we all read together. Hebrews what? 12.24. Hebrews 12.24. So Hebrews 12.24, uh, I'll give you some context after I read this verse the first time. So it says, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, that's Christ's blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So there's scripture that, that explains what that just meant. And for some of us, that might be a little cloudy on what that means. But don't worry, I won't leave you floundering as I was when I was preparing this message. Uh, The context of this is right before this, uh, the Hebrew writer was discussing the kingdom that Christians enter into when they become a Christian and what kind of king is king over this kingdom. That's why he's speaking of Christ and what his blood is like. Okay, He's discussing why it's such a good kingdom to be a part of and why our king is so great. And then after that, he goes on to tell us why this should provoke us to offering ourselves in sacrifice to one another and to him. So that's the context of it. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about why, like who Jesus is, what this says about Jesus, what this says about Abel, what it says about Christ and Abel's blood and how it's different. And why this should prompt us to sacrifice for each other and for God, ultimately. So, talking about Abel's blood, Genesis 4.10 says this about Abel's blood. 
says, and the Lord said, what have you done? He's speaking to Cain right after he murdered Abel, right? He says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What's it crying for? Vengeance. It's calling for redemption. It's calling for things to be made just, right? So if you go to Christ's blood, talking about Christ's blood in Hebrews 9.12, this is what's said about Christ's blood. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption. His blood didn't cry out for vengeance. His blood secured redemption. It was just. His blood secured that that justice. It, it, It made it so that we couldn't ever repay him for it. His blood was not lacking like Abel's. And like Abel's blood, why I bring this example up and to remind us of the difference between what it's like to offer and what it means to be taken. Abel's blood was taken from him. That's why he cried out for vengeance, right? He didn't, have a, he didn't come up to Cain and say, okay, listen, uh, maybe we can work something out, <laughs> right? And, and his blood didn't accomplish anything uh, except crying out, right? It was a waste of life. It was murder. He didn't go up to, to that and say, I don't want to be murdered, Lord, but your will be done. He just was murdered, right? But Christ said, I don't want to die on the cross, Lord, but your will be done. <laughs> That's what was different. So he... Abel didn't have an opportunity to offer there. He didn't. But Christ had the biggest opportunity to to offer and bless the Lord's name and to bring glory to God. And he took every bit of it. You know, he, he walked towards the cross as a lamb being led to the slaughter, knowing full well what was coming. Scripture is full of it. He knew exactly what was going to happen to him. He knew, what was, he knew the implications of how terrible and agonizing the kind of suffering he was going to go through. And he still went. You know, he expressed that he didn't want it. He said, God, take this cup from me. But your will be done. I want you glorified. This is the purpose I came here for. I'm going to fulfill it. So my challenge to you, fellow saints, is uh, don't let your sacrifices be taken from you. <laughs> you know, when, you, when someone comes and asks you a favor, if you're called to a higher standard in the church to do something, you can do it grudgingly, you can avoid it altogether, or you can give it as a free, willing sacrifice with a cheerful heart. You can, you can work with a cheerful heart and offer it up to the Lord. 
You can come to Sundays with a cheerful heart and offer up to the Lord. You can do the dishes with a cheerful heart, offering it to the Lord. And if you don't, if, that, if you're going to do it grudgingly, you're going to get burnt out. You're not going to enjoy life because life's full of sacrifices and it's full of, of uh, suffering. So if you want to take that suffering and turn it into an offering, you need to do it with a joyful heart and follow Christ's example. So uh, I'm just going to close in prayer and then I'll let you guys go. Lord, I thank you for uh, this opportunity to join as brothers and sisters in your name, Lord. I thank you that your scripture is very plain and very clear on your suffering and your sacrifice and how good it is that you did that. I pray that it would uh, enter into our hearts, that we would be changed, Lord, that we would... um, our ideas about doing things for others and doing things for you, Lord, would be changed forever today. That we would begin uh, a self-sacrificial, unconditional love towards you and your church. Thank you for uh, bringing us together and giving us so many opportunities to offer up to you, Lord. I pray that they would never run out. In Jesus' name, amen.